What's up, people? Master your gap year. I'm with my man, Ked. Kedrick in the house. Some call him Coach Khabib. We're about to have a good, profitable conversation. Before we get into it, I need you to... Need you to like for the algorithm. We're on a mission to spread some practical religion. Ked, how are you doing, my man? I'm good. How about yourself? Hey, I'm I'm doing well, doing well. Late night stream here. Uh, oh, we got Juice Jones in the house. Justin Jones is in the building. Ked with the goat emojis. I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah, we're going to be getting into, you know, He's a coach with the Coastal Stars. That's uh, well, I met him as a player first of all, and then I got to you know really get to know him this summer, where he spent his first year coaching. But I'm gonna let him kind of introduce himself and tell you a little bit about him before we go through our topics for the day. So, Ked, if you will. Yeah, so I'm Kedrick Zimmer. Some call me Coach Ked, or if you're Grady, you call me Coach Khabib. I <laughs> uh, played college baseball at Emmanuel for two years, and as uh, the topic says, I'm going to my gap year right now, which we'll discuss uh, here in a little bit. Um, played at Jackson County High School and played at Coastal Stars for probably three, four years or so, uh, where they helped me with recruiting and really getting to that next level where I want to be. So that's kind of, I'm a pitcher, uh, played middle infield, but stuck to pitching because that's what I, that was my passion. So that's what uh, I went with. I love it. I love it. Got a couple other people in the building as well. Got luxurious elements in the house as well as T-Max and hello, let's get quality going. Yeah, I'm always for that. So yeah, Ked said that you, you know, in a gap year now, played one year at Emmanuel College. So let's get into our first topic where it all kind of started. You said you played for the Coastal Stars for three or four years in high school. They kind of yeah. helped you along the recruiting process. Now tell us about going through the recruiting process. Yeah, so the recruiting process for me was very eventful. Um, I don't, most people probably don't know this, but originally, so I started playing for Coastal Stars again. I, I don't know, back in the summer of probably my sophomore, freshman year, high school, right in there. And uh, they immediately helped me right off the bat, especially Coach Trent, Coach Justin was working. I, I know a couple of the other coaches that are here and there. Um, and so they helped me reach out with coaches immediately, texting, email. And so by the end of senior year, I was actually supposed to go to uh, college up in New Jersey, St. Peter's. Um, and ended up decommitting and then going to Emmanuel. Well, I, I had talked to Emmanuel previously before when, when the recruiting process was really at a peak for me. Um, and you know how that goes. That is a lot of texting, emails, especially yeah. with Coach Trent. He was helping me all the time. Uh, really good guy. Great connections. Um, and so I was kind of talking to to one of the coaches there and, and really made a good bond with them, went on a visit um, and knew it was a place that I really could look forward to, really could um, feel comfortable picking. But in the at the end of the day, I picked a, a, another place to go. Well, circumstances come up and I end up then going to Emmanuel. And I honestly, I, we're a big organization on like God and Christ. And I, I think he led me in that direction to actually go to Emmanuel. And that was a uh, it was a good fit for me for two years or so, and then I ended up. I'm taking another route for for personal uh, choice. 
I see. I see. So you mentioned you had to send a lot of emails, you know, probably texting back and forth with a few coaches. So take us through how you get in contact with some of these coaches and what what's kind of the dialogue and conversations like when you're emailing or texting back and forth or how are they different? Yeah. So the one thing we preach here is, is uh, like etiquette, um, respect to coaches, being able to be sociable. And so we talk um, early on before the season even starts here, we talk to our players that uh, you need to be able to um, talk to them, send emails, go up to them on your own type deal. And so after hearing that from Coach Trent, Coach Justin, and getting that kind of like perspective on it, um, I went to college showcases where you have, I mean, people see it all the time. You see 30, 40 coaches there. And um, if a coach comes up to you, that's great. But they're, they're very busy nowadays, and they're, they're talking to the hundreds of other players that are there. And so one thing that makes you stand out from others and what I did was I went up to coaches, especially the ones I was interested in, and just shook their hands, said my name, where I'm from, position, give them a reminder that at the end of the day when they're leaving the camp, hey, this kid came up to me and he reached out to me and maybe I should look into him. He might be on my radar kind of deal. And after the showcase, again, you can send emails. Uh, and I, I tended to not send mass emails. I wanted very personal emails. I wanted to, to build a bond with coaches and see if they were personable and actually have interest in me versus a mass email. And so I would email them, let them know my GPA, my major, um, where I stand as a pitcher, what I want to, how I see my future, um, that kind of deal. And so I'd send all these emails to coaches after showcases and just thank them for their time and watching me and their interest and all that stuff. And so they would, it would start a conversation if they were actually interested and we'd go from there. Yeah, that's that's a very good point that you brought up because I think a lot of these young players don't understand the importance of relationships. Um, I went to business school, and the thing that they talk to you heavily about is networking, right? And people will do business with people that they like, right? With people that they already have a relationship. I believe McDonald's and Coca Cola, they. They've been in a partnership, but their partnership has started, and I think there's no formal agreement to this day that Coca-Cola is the official like licensing drink of McDonald's. They just started with a handshake because the two owners were really good friends. And so the importance of establishing these relationships with these coaches is just as important as your play on the field. And I think a lot of players don't understand that, but I'd like you to elaborate and go a little bit deeper on like, what is the importance of, you know, really establishing a relationship and a rapport with these coaches? Right. And I, 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 it took me probably until now trying to recruit myself again, kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Um, to realize that this industry of baseball and training and, and really life in general is all about building connections. And that's that's one of the things I try to tell my guys and tell the organization. I'm sure all of our other coaches do a great job of doing the same thing because we've all been through it and we've learned that um, you can't really close any doors. You need to leave every door open and bust through them at all costs because at the end of the day, there's thousands and thousands of kids trying to make it to the same level you are and not sending emails, these coaches are all busy. And so if you don't send those emails, they're never going to learn your name, never going to learn who you are. And so I think that was one of the things that I know my parents pushed on me and I pushed on myself to 
even if I have to make uncomfortable texts, phone calls, whatever it may be, because I wasn't like a very, like a big sociable guy back then. I was kind of mm-hmm. all to myself kind of deal. Um, I learned to send these emails when I didn't want to and branch out and be outgoing to actually build these connections that help get me to the next level. Because at the end of the day, connections go a long way. Oh yeah. Amen to that. So you, you talked about how you were more reserved back then. Cause I mean, you, you can kind of just talk to anybody now and that kind of comes with the territory of being a coach. You got to talk to so many different personalities and really pull the best out of people. So you have to be outgoing in a sense, even if you're naturally introverted. So tell us how, how did you become more, you know, outgoing and more being, being able to put yourself out there? Yeah. So I don't know if it was so much me or if it was forced, um, but I kind of <laughs> yeah. had to learn. I, I had to learn. I had to roll with the punches. It And Coach Trent could probably attest to this when he coached me. I was kind of during high school and playing for him, I was more so go about my business. I was silent in the dugout. I'd just go out and throw and, and do my job and get it over with. Well, when you get to college and you have to have face-to-face meetings with, with coaches and players and who, who, whoever it may be, you have to learn to be sociable and be able to take criticism and, and coaching and uh, really learn that it, at the end of the day, You've, you've just got to take it in, take it as a, a learning process. And that's what I did with recruiting as well. Um, and so through through uncomfortable meetings and talks, I kind of learned to, hey, you can say your two cents and you can be respectful and you can have a, a conversation that'll get you where you want to be in the future. And that's kind of how I learned to do it. Yeah, I like that. And you, you hit the nail on the head there when you said the ability to learn. And that's the one of the biggest character traits to develop in any person is the ability to learn because it'll help you just increase your skills and knowledge and in everything you'll be a lifetime learner you'll be able to really dive in and master specific crafts right like you said you were a middle infielder and a pitcher but then you're like no pitching's my passion and so now you're a pitcher only in college and it's like now your full devotion is to okay how do i you know work on mastering this craft of pitching and i mean speaking of pitching you're you're actually kind of a special pitcher cuz you have the ability to pitch with both arms which is which is kind of very unique and insane in a lot of different ways so talk about how like how did you find this new like how did you know that you could throw with both arms or was it something that as a young kid, you were like, or maybe your dad or your parents were like, hey, no, you're going to throw and work on this. How did that come to be? Yeah, so I never really learned. I kind of just grew up doing it. And my dad tells me the story because I was obviously too young to even know it. That's how early I started. Because um, I asked one day, I was just curious. I was like, how, like, why me? How can I do it? And uh, he just tells me, like, when I grew up, I just, if I had something in my left hand, like a can or whatever it may be, I'd just throw the ball with my right arm. And if I had a, an object in my right hand, I'd throw it with my left arm. And so I kind of just, I never really learned to do it. I, I grew up doing it and it came natural. Obviously, right-handed is a little more natural because I do, I played basketball right-handed. I write right-handed. Everything in daily life, I do mainly right-handed. And, and when it comes to baseball, I can do it both ways. And it's something that I 
just grew up doing and, and I have a passion for it. Oh, that's super cool. So how, how young were you when that started? Was it just something that just started <sighs> when honestly, you were just again, really young? Right. Yeah. I, I don't even remember like starting doing it. I just, whenever I got the kid pitch, I was doing it both ways. And so wow. I kind of just, I guess before that I would always, I played middle infield right-handed. Well, if I had to play first base, I played it left-handed. Uh, or the outfield. I'd also played that left-handed if I had to do that. So I kind of, again, I just, I don't even remember. It goes way back that I just was doing it. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. So talk about the glove. So obviously, right-handed glove is going to fit different than a left-handed glove because your hands are different, right? So do you have a specialized glove or do, are you on the mound with like two gloves, one hanging off? Like t take the people through the process of what that looks like. Yeah. So I have done it all, um, especially in high school. There were games that I would throw so many innings right-handed and then get my left-handed glove and do that, um, or vice versa. Or maybe I'd throw a complete game right-handed or a complete game left-handed, depending on scouting reports, teams. There, a lot of strategy plays into it when you have a, an ability like I have, which is very special and unique. Um, so obviously I've got a right-handed glove and a left-handed glove if I want to switch innings um, or if one arm isn't feeling that great that day, I just call it quits with that arm and go to the arm that uh, feels the best. Um, I also do have a special glove, but my only critique is that those gloves, when you get to having a glove that fits on both hands, you can't make them small. And so it feels like you've got a weight on the end of your uh, – glove side and it's not it's something you have to really get used to um when pitching because obviously when any any minor critique or weight can can shift things and mess things up and so i'm a big guy and i want something lightweight a little bit that i can control on the front side and when it comes to wearing an ambidextrous glove something that has two webs it's not the most comfortable feeling until you get used to it wow so talk about We've established that you can throw with both hands. You just mentioned the word ambidextrous, which is what it's called when you have that ability. So talk about the advantage of being an ambidextrous pitcher in baseball. Yeah, so there are advantages, and there's also a big disadvantage that I get questions all the time about. Okay, let's um, go. So advantages would be, I mean, obviously I can throw double the amount of pitches as every other pitcher. Um, you don't have to use, if I'm going righty and you need a lefty out of the bullpen or whatever it may be for a matchup, I can do it because I can do lefty. You don't have to take any pitchers out of the game because I can switch mid-at-bats. Um, I, can, I, I can do a lot of different things when it comes to just, again, playing strategically against teams and in, in, when it comes to playing series against teams, you don't have to use other pitchers that you might need another game. You can just use me and, and I can throw as many pitches as, as needed. Now, the one thing that a lot of travel ball coaches argued, and I'm sure Coach Trent did it and my previous coaches for travel ball, was that they don't count um, me as two different arms. And so if the pitch count uh, for that tournament or that day or whatever it may be is 105, that's all I can throw. I can throw like 55 and 50. I can't go 105, 105, mm. which is something that they tried to, like my coaches argued, tried to get changed, stuff like that, because obviously that that kind of isn't, I mean, it's not not fair, but it's an advantage taken away. And right. I, mean, I have plenty of them. I don't really, I guess, need another when it comes to that, but yeah.
it seems like it should be almost like one and a half the pitches times the pitches. Because, right. I, I mean, I get not throwing double the amount because you're worried about a kid repeatedly going through the motion and getting tired out there and being abused and like if they have that ability. What they were saying was the fact that if you throw, like you're still having wear and tear whether you're throwing with it or not, you're still having to use it in each mechanic, each throw. So, I mean, I get that argument, but it's, it's two different sides. So I get the, right. I get the, that it's strenuous. So that's why I said they should be allotted more than normal because they have a, Right. An abnormal ability in a in a advantageous way, obviously, but yeah, I, I just I think that's a silly argument. But no, that's that's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Also, if you if you guys in the chat have a question for Ked or about the recruiting process that you would like us to answer, or just anything that we covered today, put it in the chat. We'll put it up on the screen and we'll answer that accordingly. Let's get into our second segment here. So you are taking a gap year you hinted at this in the intro so you played two years at emmanuel college correct and then now that's right you you're coaching you coach this summer you're coaching this fall and you you told me you're just working on you know getting stronger and getting ready to come back next school year and uh next season better than ever so take us through that decision and you know what is your approach in this gap year yeah, so deciding a gap year was not the easiest thing to do. And, I again, I called Coach Trent and got his, his take on it because he's been there to help me through recruiting and baseball and you you name it, he's been there for me. And so he was my first call I made. Um, and I, I honestly chose a gap year just for um, my own personal uh, choice. Um, the one of the, I loved Emmanuel. I love pitching. I love baseball. But at the end of the day, um, while I'm optimistic and uh, driven, I am also very realistic and I can do mirror checks. And one of the things that I noticed at the Division II level, um, while I could pitch and I had success, it, there was too, many, too much inconsistency, especially when it came to like velocity. And the velocity that I was at in the low 80s, just in the conference I was in, wasn't going wasn't gonna to play. Again, I had... I had um, I had times of success and I also had times where it was just up and down and up and down. And so I took this choice because at the end of the day, um, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with the, um, playing that I was getting, um, with the performance I was giving and, and I didn't really deserve the more innings than I was throwing. It was just the fact that I was average and I could go out there and, um, and be average again. And that's not something that I want. I want to strive to be a top dog. I want to um, be a guy that coaches can look at and say, hey, we're giving you the ball and we want us to get a win. So um, that's kind of why I took the gap year for, for my own well-being of, hey, I want, to, I want to succeed and I want to be the best at everything that I can be, whether it's life or baseball. And in this case, it's baseball. And I took the gap year so that I can, I can do that. I like that. I like that. So talk about your approach now. So you told us why. Talk about what you're doing so that you can be that guy when you step on whatever college campus that you that you attend next. Yeah. So a big a big thing that stuck with me is and I've heard this saying multiple times is sometimes you got to take two steps back, take one step forward. 
And so that's kind of my take on this is, hey, I love baseball. I want to play it at the end of the day. I want to play it for as long as possible. Well, at the rate I'm going right now, I need to take this step back in order to progress into the next next pitcher that I can be, next best pitcher, whatever you want to call it. So now I have taken this step back, taken away from baseball and said, hey, what can I do to improve? And so that comes with training, eating healthy, um, eating the amount of food that I need to eat, tracking different uh, weights, lifts, exercises. Again, food, got to track that all the time. And so that's one thing that is helping me take this, take my ability and my talent to the next level is being able to say, look in the mirror and just tell myself, hey, at the end of the day, you've got to make some sacrifices if you want to get to that end goal that you want to be at. And so I train probably five to six days a week. Well, for sure, five, Monday through Friday, I'm training. Um, I've got a, a facility that I lift and throw at out here in Houston where I live. And so Saturdays, I'll sometimes train as well. And then Sundays, I'll take that day off to just relax. But I'm, I do probably an hour and a half to two hours of lifting. And then I'm also doing baseball. And again, this is, these are not, it's not an easy process. Um, you have to be driven. And, and that's one of the things that I am is like, I, at the end of the day, I don't want anybody else to outwork me. And so I'm training, um, doing throwing and that throwing again is a workout in itself. Um, and I'll throw, I've got a, a throwing program that I do. And so I'll throw, as the throwing program says, most days it's, it's heavy Monday. And then Tuesday, I'll take the day to relax and things I do on those days is like deep tissue. Got to relax the muscle and recover because you can't throw tight. You're, you got to be mobile and strong at the same time. Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm back at it, working my tail off to get to the next level that I want to be. And so that's what I am kind of doing throughout the gap year is I'll be training. Um, I'm still going to school because I definitely don't want to take that off because school, again, is very important. Um, and then it comes down to when I'm not training, when I'm not sleeping, when I'm not doing class, I'm eating. And I, you got to stick to it. You got to plan. Yeah, that's a, it takes a lot of discipline to do that, especially when you're not on a college campus and you don't have the strict schedule of a student athlete, right? Because as a student athlete, you kind of have your days planned out for you. It's like be in the weight room here, go to your classes, be at early work, be at practice or be at your game or what have you. So what talk about how you're able to be disciplined. Like how are you able to stick to this routine? Um, knowing that, I mean, you're kind of getting up, yeah, you got classes. How do you not procrastinate on your classes? How are you sticking to a routine and a schedule, if you will? Yeah. So that's one thing that I've kind of, I, I pride myself on and I've always been, I've grown up doing is to be independent, self-motivated. Um, and a lot of it comes down to my, my lack of success or inconsistent throwing when it comes to the college or high school level, just my past in general, um, and not wanting me to go down the same road. And so that's that's all the motivation I need. I don't need anybody else to tell me what I can and can't do. I've got I've got my self pride and my own motivation to say, hey, be better for you and, and don't do this for anybody else because at the end of the day, what you do and what you strive for is going to make you happy. Nobody else can bring that happiness to you. And, and that's one of those things that 
baseball has been my life and, and always will be. And honestly, it's probably going to be my top priority until I'm done playing it. And so I schedule my classes um, around, not around baseball, but I, I give myself the freedom to say, hey, I can get up, I can get this training in, I can go to class, I can get get the baseball out of the way and be focused on that and then come back and reset for the day when I go to class. I can focus on that and at the end of the day, I knock that out and then it's, it's hey, what can I do in, in the afternoon at night before I go to bed to get better at baseball again? And so that's, I guess, I don't really plan myself out, but each morning I know, hey, I'm going to the gym because I got to get better today. And if I don't, then I'm slacking and somebody's out. Somebody else is outworking me. And I just don't want that. Right. Now, I like that. Amen. And there's a couple of things that you hit on, which was you're actually basically putting yourself in a schedule that's akin to something that you would be doing if you were on a team. And the other thing is that you're self-motivated and which is a big thing like when you're in college you got your teammates holding you accountable of course the actual team and your coaches if you don't if you miss weights or something you're gonna be punished for it right because you signed a paper and made a commitment to be there and it's you know kind of written down you're kind of contractually obligated if you will but you're not necessarily contractually obligated because you're a free agent but it's like you said, it's literally this kind of underlying failure from the past that's driving you forward because you see yourself succeeding, which is actually the the mark of somebody who's going to be successful because everybody who's successful in life and people measure success in all different types of ways, but anybody who considers themselves successful is because they've been resilient and perseverant through their failures, right? They didn't look at their failures as a roadblock. They looked at them more as speed bumps as, you know, just minor hurdles on their way to their destination. So I think that's a, a really good character trait that you have because you're, you're literally internally driven, even if nobody's pushing you right to be great and then the fact that you got people around you who are able to push you will help you to be greater right and and i'm sure you've seen this as well especially when you got to the college level at north georgia and as a freshman you step on that campus and you you have your first team meeting first practice and you see these guys who are three four five years older than you and you're you go in as a freshman not expecting much and and you know you have to work hard well, then you, you build these connections. And that's one thing that's helping me today is I've got a ton of buddies that, that I, I see in front of me and I'm like, this dude can play. He can throw it hard. He's, he's got every tangible skill that I want and that I'm working for. And you, you start to blend with these guys through your freshman and early years and you look up to them as role models. And that's one of the things that at Emmanuel, I was able to blend with the older guys very, like, very easily, quickly, and really learned what it takes to be a higher level athlete, to throw hard, the things I'm striving for. And so I take these, again, we talked about connections. I take these and I, I'm texting them. I'm learning from them. I'm keeping the connections with them. I'm asking how they're doing. And so it kind of, again, keeps me driven and motivated to, hey, if this dude's going to start throwing harder, I want to too, because I got to keep up with him and I want to reach him and where he's at. Yeah, it's like, and it's also not just about the connections that you form or that you have. It's about the quality of them as well, because like the right. saying goes, you're the culmination of your inner circle or the five people that you're closest to. And so 
off of that, I do want to shift gears because we do have a few questions in the chat. So you were talking about how you get up and you're, you know, strict with, you know, getting to the gym and being disciplined. But Kenya, which is my girlfriend, she wants to know what are your go-to meals? Like what's, what's kind of your diet like? Mm, um, big on eggs and hash browns. I can't, for some reason, I can't eat eggs alone. I got to have the hash browns, which is like, I guess I could have a better source of carbs, but carbs it is, I guess. <laughs> right. Eggs sit, like I've learned to, I, I used to never be able to eat in the morning, but I learned if you want to be a good athlete and you want to put on that size and that muscle, you got to eat breakfast. And so I learned uh, if you have to meal prep, you meal prep um, the night before or you meal prep for the week on a Sunday. And so eggs and hash browns are big at breakfast. Uh, after lifting, um, it'll be either like a, a protein bar or a protein shake. And again, I'm lifting from probably, I want to say anywhere from like 9, 8.30, 9 o'clock until 11, 11.30. And so by the time I get a snack, it's then lunchtime is in between 12 and 1 right around there. And I'll have um, chicken and rice. I love that. Um, it just, it varies depending on what I'm having for dinner that night. Because I kind of, I don't want to eat chicken and rice and then chicken and rice again. Right. Um, and so again, it'll vary, but chicken and rice has been a, a really good staple in my, uh, meal, meal prepping, meal planning, especially rice, white rice. And then again, for dinner, I usually have whatever my mom cooks, but that could, that could range anywhere from like steak or not steak, uh, salmon, some sort of fish. Cause fish is very good for you. Again, rice might even be at that meal as well. And then you'll have vegetables um and and things of that nature but and sometimes hamburger because beef is is a good staple too but you don't want to overdo it on any of these either you want to have variety right Right. variety and moderation absolutely so i do see everybody's questions we do have some more questions but they are more pertaining actually we just got one that's pertaining to the meal so hold on kenya has a follow-up question for you she says do you take any other supplements besides protein creatine i'm big on creatine um i i don't know if i consider like pre-workout a supplement but i guess i love like i gotta take pre-workout before i go to the gym whether it's for strength or i'm drowsy that day um because obviously again there's no days off you gotta you gotta get through it and i i would steer away if you don't have to take pre-workout don't because there's some good flavors out there nowadays that they can they can get you right (laughs) drinking all the time and again in moderation um I you I'm getting I want to get back to it and I did take fish oil pills as well. Fish oil pills have are good for uh, joint health um, stuff like that, and I do take joint pills as well. Um, but again, mainly creatine, protein, and your best source of protein doesn't even come from like the powders; it comes from the actual food itself. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Coach Justin said, "Don't forget the Uncrustables at practice." Hashtag games. <laughs> I love it. All right, so the rest of your questions in the chat are pertaining to our next topic. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into Ked's first year coaching, which uh, he started coaching this past fall, had a great summer. So we'll get into that as well as your questions right after this. We have a big announcement. As you guys know, we're now quality entertainment. And with that name change, it's coming some big changes to the channel 
So, like I said before, we're gonna have all new shows, but some shows aren't even gonna include me, and they're not even gonna include Kenya. What we did was we went out and we recruited two of our closest friends, Miracle and Alan. And they're gonna have a great show that's gonna provide you with excellent value called Conscious Outlet. Let's meet them now. Hey guys, welcome to the Conscious Outlet Podcast. We are officially a part of the Quality Entertainment Network and we are so happy to be here. I'm Miracle Monique. And I'm Alan J. And we're here to discuss the intersection of culture, faith, media, so we can inspire some practical solutions to some huge societal challenges that we're facing today. So let's work together to get this done. What's up, people? I'm trying to put this in our players' group me so we can get some players in here asking some questions on how to approach a gap year or how to get recruited. Quality people, make sure you. I see your questions. We are about to get into them. We are with my man, Ked, also known as Coach Khabib. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're about to get into your first year coaching here. Now, before we get into any questions, there is a very special player that I know he's your favorite player, and his name is Grady Perkins. <laughs> Grady. <laughs> and Grady was on, on the program last week, and he had this to say about, <laughs> about you, Ken. Just take a look. Do you think they'll be good or bad, though? The aliens? So, I think I mean, Coach Khabib's one, honestly. Honestly. <laughs> you think Coach Ken is an alien? That's crazy. Yes. That's crazy. Why do you think that? Because he told me he can throw from both sides. Yeah, but I can throw from both sides. I can't do it as well as he does. D? Alien. What do you think about that? Dude, he is uh, he is a he's a character, dude. He is uh, has an electric personality, and boy, can he can he talk to me on the daily? Um, I, I expect nothing less than that comment, and I'll take it. I'll just I'll roll with the punches, and I'll just say I'm an alien for his. Sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he was low key kind of serious. I was like, I, I think I know, he's trolling, but. Then, like, he was serious. I was like, oh, I've had that kid for over a year. So, but yeah, Grady's, yeah. Grady's just a great personality. Never a dull moment with him. And um, just speaking of that, tomorrow, before we get into some more questions, we will be back. Tomorrow, I'm going to have two of my players. I have Elon, who was on with Grady last week, and Trey Chamberlain, two of my players that have been with me again a year. We're going to be talking about role models, talking about hitting approach and all different types of stuff. Uh, also, we got Mr. DJ Jackson in the house. Shout out to DJ. He said, yo, Kedrick. It's one of our players there. <laughs> so welcome to the program. Let's jump in before I get into some of my questions. Let's jump into some of the chat's questions. So from Coach Justin, he said, how has coaching changed your perspective of what you value in a player and more specifically a pitcher or has it? I, and in the next topic, I had the same question for you. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I would, I would say when it comes to like a, a player versus a coach, 
um, as a player, I'm kind of I, – I look to go out and do what I can to help the team win. And as a coach, I'm now thinking strategically of, hey, what move can I make to help this team win? What pitcher can I put in? Especially I'm a big – I'm a pitcher mind-oriented guy. And so when it comes to pitching, um, I'm looking for guys, especially starters, pound the zone um, and can keep guys – can keep your team in the ball game. Um, keep the ball on the ground, um, limit base hits, obviously. That goes for any pitcher. Um, and really, it, it comes down to throwing strikes again, um, being able to throw multiple pitches for strikes um, because at the end of the day, you might have a great defense, which I was able to have in the summer and was very grateful for that. Um, but you can't, you can't field against walks. And so right. when it comes to pitching, guys who throw strikes, pound the zone, have a great personality, are electric, and, and have a dog mentality and really work hard. Yeah, big on the walks, especially for me. Like, I, were, were you sitting beside me this past weekend when I uh, called, I forgot who it was, maybe it was uh, Daniel Young, because he, uh, he walked, he, he carved the first two guys and just K'd them up, and then he walked yes. the next guy. And I was like, right. you want to know the quickest way to make me mad is to walk a guy with two That's outs, right. especially after you K'd the first two guys. That's right. Um, and that was something that was really big at North Georgia. Like, coach would throw like throw something if you did that because yes. one your defense is going to be out there longer and in north georgia you got some brutal days where the weather is just you know really cold and the wind the, the it's the wind chill because of the mountains there's very windy or i mean it's georgia once it gets hot it gets hot and so you want to limit your time that's in the field you want to be on the offensive more than you're on the defensive plus uh, you walk people, defense gets, you know, kind of lackadaisical, starts errors, and then you have that circus inning. So you just want to, especially when you have that momentum, you got to use the momentum because all sports is predicated on who has the momentum. And you're always trying to get that momentum in your favor. And when you walk somebody, you're giving the other side free momentum. And so that's why walks are such a big thing, especially when you have two outs. Right, and and that's what I kind of try to help guide my pitchers and teach them. And I learned it at a manual and at a at I kind of in high school as well. If you get two quick outs, whether it be on two pitches or or five or whatever, your first pitch to that third guy better be a fastball, just low in the zone that he swings at, and you can get another another quick out. Right. Um, that was a that was a rule we had at a manual. If you go uh, one pitch out and then a two pit a one pitch out again for two pitches, it's an automatic fastball we're throwing it we're going to try to get a because mo again most hitters are taught hey don't let him have a quick inning if he has two if he's only thrown two pitches with two outs you better be taking and so now right. we're either getting another out or we're getting a first pitch strike and so attack attack early on i like it i like it we got some players pulling up in the chat so i think uh this is nj so shout out to him or i'm NJ. I guess <laughs> that's a I don't recognize the name but it just says NJ so maybe that's a he's using that person's profile we got Miles Jones in the house as well my, I see my teams rolling up yeah I see Kunzi in the house all the way from <laughs> South Carolina Parker Landrum's in the house as well let's see who else we got oh we got you we got your favorite player in the house. Grady. Grady Perkins, Tech Dog, 1016's <laughs> in the house. Oh, here's NJ. 
Who's uh, who's Peyton Craps? You know who Peyton Craps is? No um, idea. All right. All right. Thanks. Anyway, let's get into some more of the chat's questions really quick. Also, guys that are pulling in, if you got a question for Coach Ked or Coach Khabib and or for me about just coaching, life, anything, go ahead and put it in the chat. We'll flag it and we'll answer it here in just a moment. So Kenya has a question pertaining to coaching. She says, how was the transition from player for Coastal to coach for Coastal? That's a very interesting one. Um, I wouldn't say there was a big difference. The main difference I will take away is the competitive atmosphere. Not to say when I played, we weren't competitive, but the guys that we have now are very, they're scrappy at the plate. They don't make errors if very rarely on defense and they're guys on the mound that I, I talked about having that dog mentality and they're, there's guys on each team that are playing to get college offers, scholarships, to play at the next level. And not to say we didn't have that when I played here, but now we've got lineups full of them that, that are all fighting for, for spots at the next level. And they're working hard and they know, hey, maybe this could be my last at bat or my last pitch and I don't want it to be. And so seeing that transition from player of, hey, I might be the only one on this squad that wants to do it or has the ability to now I'm coaching, 13, 14 kids who all have the ability to do it and want to do it. It's been very cool to see. No, yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing for me, because my first year coaching at Coastal was your last year playing at Coastal, which is interesting. But I think the 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 biggest thing from then till now is the mentality of the players, right? Of course, we have more talent across the board. We have more depth talent-wise, but I think the biggest jump has been the mentality of the players. Like, we have guys now that want to get after it. We have guys now that are, you know, really, really, really good friends just aside from baseball, but they still talk about baseball outside of baseball, right? And I think you can kind of tell right. just by just the amount of players that uh, pulled in um, to this to this live chat today and who's just showing love to just us or what whatever's going on it's like a really big family and the culture that we established here i mean and the culture was good when you were when you were there but now that it's had this chance to grow and develop i think now it's like okay we kind of understand we have this identity and the the culture is you know pushing us forward in a positive direction Right. And, and when it comes to culture, now that you say that is when I played, I, I think the culture was, hey, let's show up. Let's, I mean, I didn't really not to say I didn't know the guys on my team, but it was let's show up, do what we're there to do, which is get seen. And then let's head home. And, and now we've got this culture of like a, a great coaching staff who all works together and works really hard at what they do to perfect, whether it be a, a pitching coach, head coach, assistant coach. Uh, we all we all band together to help these guys the best possible. And these players now are starting to, they mesh together really well. Again, like you hinted at, they, they talk about baseball outside of baseball. Um, they hang out. Um, and there's this, there's this sense of having those comfortable, uncomfortable conversations um, that I talked about in the recruiting process of now they, they feel comfortable coming up to us and saying, hey, where am I at? Where do I need to be? Like, where do you see me in the future? Like, how, what can I do to get better? And that's something that maybe we didn't have as much in the past that we have a ton of right now. I like that. I like that. 
All right, so let's get into, oh, we got a question from Bo Greer. He says, how should I go about right. working on my knuckleball? That's an interesting one. Oh, Bo, Bo, Bo. Um, when it comes to knuckleball, your best bet, and I did this, um, one of my pitches that I perfected, not perfected, I'm working on perfecting it, is a cutter. Um, YouTube, as much as I don't really go to YouTube at, like I don't want to because YouTube, there's a lot of good things. There's also a lot of bad things if you don't look in the right spots. Um, well, one of the things that I worked on with the cutter is who's got probably arguably the best cutter in all of baseball to ever play, Mariano Rivera. It was virtually unhittable. And so what I do, I do my research on uh, Mariano Rivera's cutter, how he throws it, how the grip is, his wrist angle, arm angle. Does he get on top of the ball? Does he stay through it? And so one of the one of the things that I'd probably lean you towards in a direction, since I'm not like a big knuckleball guy, I do throw it for fun. Um, I would say either like you could say Phil Necro or Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey, those guys who have thrown knuckleballs for a long time and had a lot of success with it. I'd say look at how they throw it. Watch slow-mo videos, um, uh, dissect and analyze how – their mechanics are how they release it how hard they throw it if they're pushing it or if they're actually throwing it whether it's sidearm those kind of things and really see like they're professionals for a reason and so if you can mimic it the best way possible in your own unique way it's it's going to work out yeah i like that and to add to that the knuckleball is such a unique pitch because it's one of those pitches is almost it just, it becomes your fastball in a sense right because right. it becomes your primary pitch and you throw it just as much as a fastball if you've perfected it well enough like tim wakefield probably threw 85 percent knuckleballs and he had had a little flicker curveball that he might flick up there every now and then and he threw his right. fastball just to keep you honest so that you weren't you know sitting back too much on just waiting for the knuckleball and because he was able to do that he, he had a very long successful career and the, the other thing about Tim right. Wakefield was he came into the league he came into the league as like a middle infielder or something like that and that just wasn't going <laughs> well for him he was like about to get cut right. or something and he was like well I, I need it basically like you like you said he was like if I want to continue to play baseball, I need to take a step back and I need to assess, okay, what can I be good at or what do I need to develop? And so he started developing this knuckleball and he didn't throw very hard, but he was very effective because he utilized his talents, he utilized his mind and he, you know, he got better as he went on. And so, yeah, that's a, that's the biggest thing. I, I would say, yeah, YouTube is always your friend. You always want to you always want to strive to imitate those who are greater than you or those who are great in general. So look at Tim Wakefield, look at Ari Dickey, especially um, you mentioned Phil Necro as well. And just, I'm, I'm sure there's some coach guru. I would, I would soak in as much information as you can and not to say that all information is of the same quality, but taking the information and take everything kind of with a grain of salt and say, okay, oh, maybe he had a point here. Let me go try this and see what works for you. Because at the end of the day, what worked for Tim Wakefield was probably different from what worked with R.A. Dickey and likewise with Phil Necro. So you got to kind of carve your own path on your journey to, you know, becoming a good knuckleballer. So great question, Bo. Right. And and, and to, to add on to that real quick, um, the knuckleball, again, 
look at your sources and be able to trust them or assess them and say, hey, maybe this isn't trustworthy. Because at the end of the day, how many knuckleball pitchers do we see or have we seen golf through the majors? Not very many. And so at the end of the day, you just have to use your your knowledge of, hey, we haven't seen this like very much. So maybe it's not the easiest thing to do. And again, you take maybe you take a couple things from Ari Dickey and you take a couple things from Tim Wakefield, you put them together and you make you you. Make yourself unique and and throw it the way you want to throw it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Peyton Craps came back. He said, What's up, coaches? I came from NJ. Shout out to NJ. He says, make sure y'all subscribe. Also, like for the algorithm, because like we're on a mission. We're trying to get to a uh, thousand subscribers here pretty soon. We'll be able to do some really cool stuff uh, live-wise once we do hit that thousand subscriber mark. Also, we're going to be doing more player interviews. We got one coming up tomorrow. And I also got Hunter Holder and Jackson Sayer coming on the program next Tuesday as well. So got some pretty cool stuff coming down the pipeline for you guys. All right, we got Air Force Kid 512. I can't see who exactly that is. Um, I can't tell who that the profile picture is, but it says, Coach Ked, what's the fastest you throw or have thrown, I guess? I guess you got to yeah, go. So, I guess you got to say it from both arms. Yeah, so Velo has been an up and, up and down battle for myself. Um, we'll just keep it a long story short. Um, this summer, after two and a half-ish months of my training process of the gap year beginning, because obviously I uh, finished up my second year of manual. We ended in the first week of May after the tournament. Um, and so my gap year started right right after the season ended. I came home. And so through my training in May and June, I then got back into bullpens in July. And uh, I was up to 85, 86, top in 87, which was up from baseball season itself, which was – 81, 83 at best. And so obviously the training and what I'm doing and the discipline I have is working, but again, not settling for anything at all. Um, 87 or to sit 85, 86 and top 87 in my first bullpen back since college baseball season, when I've never even sniffed an 86, let alone not thrown a single pitch below 85 was a huge step in the right direction for me. And I was excited. Um, but again, I don't want to settle. And so I'm, I'm striving for even more, but 85, 86, top in 87. I like it. Hold up. Hold up. We got a super chat. Shout out to Grady Perkins. He says, coach, how do I throw that four for four diesel coach kid? Um, essentially Grady, how does he throw gas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of variables that play into it, and I, as you can tell, I'm also in learning stages. But again, it comes down to to training, how you recover, are your muscles tight, does your body move efficiently, are your mechanics synced up, um, does your arm have proper external rotation, can it decelerate qu quickly? Like, there's a lot of a lot of variables that play into it, and at the end of the day, like throwing gas isn't easy. Um, there's, I mean, just getting to 90 is a milestone. Um, and again, you see all these professional athletes that do it with ease, but they're professionals for a reason. And at the end of the day, there's billions of people in the world and I don't see billions on TV. Um, so again, there's a lot of variables and that, that is something you have to 
either go to trainers who have done it, who have expertise, who have the statistics to back up to say, hey, I, I've shown that I can produce high-level pitchers who throw hard. And again, it comes down to, to mechanics and all those variables and how your body moves and how much force you can produce and all that good stuff, which I could go on and on about. But it's there's no one simple, easy fix. Again, just like when Bo asked about the knuckleball, everybody's got their own unique way. Right. Not everybody's mechanics are the same, but there's also plenty of guys who also throw really hard. So, And I also want to, I don't want it to get lost that you have to master the art of pitching, right? Like Velo right. is good, but there's a lot of guys in the that go through that go to the pros that throw really hard. You can probably ask Coach Justin this. They probably threw like 95 to 99, but they didn't make it to the big leagues because they couldn't they couldn't get out. They didn't understand the art of pitching, right? Which is something that um, who's it? Greg Maddox really mastered. He didn't throw yep. the hardest but he could put it wherever he wanted. And because he could do that, right. he was able to get outs, right? I remember he threw a complete game on like 73 pitches or something just ridiculous like that. And that just goes to show right. you that we're in an age where, okay, the the fast, the how hard can you throw it, right? Everybody wants to throw it. You see people right. pumping 100, especially out of the pen, every single night. But at the end of the day, you still got to be able to get outs. And... The people right. that can do that, the those are the people that are going to have the most longevity, right? Now, the the caveat is the people that are coming, throwing 100 out of the pen have mastered the ability to get outs, right? And so that's why they're right. throwing 100 out of the pen in the major leagues. And so you, all, you also got to remember, hey, I'm not throwing 100 right now. I do need to work and get bigger to, you know maximize my velocity but don't let it get lost that you also need to perfect the art of pitching perfect that craft just like hitting right i wasn't the 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 biggest power guy right but my last year at north georgia i batted in the four hole and i was like the smallest guy in the lineup and i was <laughs> i was in the four hole because i was leading the team in rbis i was actually before i got hurt i was in the top either five or ten in the peach belt for RBIs. And that's because whenever there was a guy on base, if there was a guy on third base, he was in if I was up at the plate. I would either hit a ground ball to uh, second base or I, I think I led the country in sack flies. I had like 13 wow. or 14 of them. Like, yeah, it was just something crazy because I was <laughs> like, oh, there's a guy on third base. All I got to do is hit it in the air to the outfield. Okay. Just, all right. So right. you got to, you got to, you want to have the ability like you want to maximize your ability, whether it's speed, whether it's power, whether it's, you know, working on your contact, but you also got to play smart, right? So that you can maximize the talent that you have right now in this current moment as well. So, And I, and I liked how you said master the art of pitching because you have to think about it from a hitter's perspective well, and, and they're mastering their art. You see all the technology out that, that they're using as well. And, and like you said, you see guys who are throwing – upper 90s, low 100s, and they're getting hit. Just because they throw a flat fastball down the middle doesn't mean you can get by these guys. They're all right. upper high-level athletes for a reason. And and we had the same thing. I'll tell a, a quick little caveat. At Emmanuel, about a, two or three years before I got there, we had a whole pitching staff, and, and our pitching coach told us this, um, full of guys who threw low to mid-90s. 
Um, and so he, he brought in these guys because, again, we're in the stages of, hey, we want guys who throw really hard and that's it. And they, they bring these guys in and lo and behold, there's no success. They, mm-hmm. they don't have a winning season. This pitching staff goes and gives up. Like, I, I think they might have led the conference in, like, home runs given up or something like that. Well, then, flash forward, a couple years later, they're bringing in guys like me who throw 80-81, and we've got one of the best pitching staffs in the country, and we did last year as well um, through halfway of the season. We were the best, number one staff in the country with any, any uh, innings over 100 for any team. Um, and we've got multiple guys who are low 80s, and then we've got a couple guys who are high 80s, low 90s. But you see a lot of variety, and you now see a staff full of guys who can actually pitch. They don't just throw. I like that. Yeah, and that's something that also always comes up is you got to have the ability to pitch and not just be able to get up there and throw hard. Like we can take the shortstop and put him on the mound. He's going to be able to throw hard because he's one of the best athletes on the field, probably has one of the strongest arms on the field, right? But when you're on the bump, right, that's a whole different ball game. That's why we separate, for the most part, pitchers from the position players, unless you're Shohei Otani, right? Then you're just you know, right. a freak athlete. But that's like that's exactly. one in that's one in a million type player, like one in a generation. Right. And so everybody one once you get to a certain level, it's like you have to start mastering whatever it is you're good at, whether it's pitching, whether it's catching, whether it's playing the outfield or whether it's playing the infield. Or like Coach Justin was talking to our guys this uh, past weekend, start learning how to do all of them, right? Because the more positions that you can play and that you do get down and master, the longer you'll be able to play, right? Because right. there's always going to be somewhere in the lineup for you to be. Like, if, oh, third baseman's not doing good. Oh, X player right here. We can just plug him in. He can play there, right? Even though right. he was just in center. He can play third base, even though he's in center field last night. So um, that's good. Got a couple more questions here. Uh, SW Crank says, what's the fastest way to start throwing more strikes? That's a good question. Um, a lot of it comes down to not even the physical side of like in-game performance. Pitching is a big, it's it's heavy on the mental side. Um, and so one thing I learned early on is, is if you throw a bad pitch, you got to you got to let it go. If you give up a home run, you got to let it go. Well then, when you master this mental mental strength of hey, I, I want to be out here to dominate and I know I can. Sometimes they're going to get the best of me and it is what it is. You master that mental side and a lot of it comes down to your preparation. I learned it at Emmanuel, we were big on preparation and in preparing for that weekend series. Throughout the week, we were doing different catch plays and when we were all we wrote our own programs. We learned to do that. Um, what Again, everybody's different. There's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to programming in any facet of life. And so we had to – we would have pitchers meetings and stuff like that to go over drill work. And one of the things that we focused on and one of the topics was command. Well, in this command uh, preparation, we would go over, like, target catch with where you have your partner set up different gloves. Um, on different like spots of the body um, and focus on hitting them. And again, a lot of it comes down to um, not just preparing, but how you prepare, being mentally focused, strong, having that like, hey, I'm locked in this pitch. I'm going to make it the best pitch. 
and then I'm going to relax. I'm going to let him do his thing. And then when I get that ball back, I'm locking back in to make the best pitch that I can. There's no, there's nothing when it comes to preparing, especially at the college level, that's lackadaisical at all. Um, and so we did target play, um, different variations of catch play when it comes to um, flat grounds, short boxes. But the big thing is using your eyes as a pitcher to locate the target of where you want to throw, um, depending on what pitch you're throwing, where you want to start it relative to where the batter's standing, whatever it may be. But a lot of it has to do with cueing in on that glove and not being all, all lackadaisical and bouncing around. Focus on it, take a deep breath, and really hone in on that target, hit it, and then refresh and go to the next. Yeah, two things I want to echo there is, one, you're talking about being in the moment, essentially, for the pitch, which I think yes. is a which is a huge thing that a lot of younger players and even college players and probably some professional players need to get down because if you're not in the moment, if you're thinking about know things in the past whether it was something that you failed at or i made an error or, well or i gave up a, i just gave up a hit to the nine hole hitter and he sucks how how'd i do right. that right if you're thinking about that right. then you're not in this moment to be able to execute the pitch to the best of your ability also if you're thinking ahead right too much right then you're also not in the moment to be able to execute the pitch to the best of your ability. If you're like, okay, all right, I, I can just get this guy out and we're back into the dugout. It's like, no, the only moment that you have ever in life is this moment right here. And so you should always strive to be as much in the moment. But also a key thing that you said was preparation is key, right? And preparation is key because it allows you to excel, to be greater in this moment currently, right? So if you have like big game, big moment, right? Everybody's like bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, two outs, two strikes or something, a full count basically, that type of situation. The biggest factor isn't necessarily like who's more in the moment. The biggest factor is, well, what did you do to prepare, right? What did you do right. as far as like your training? What did you do as far as like your discipline, right? Because that kind of determines who is hungrier in the sense. And the person that's hungrier in that moment generally prevails. And so preparation is key, but also you have to be in the moment to execute and affirm all that preparation that went into it. So Right. And, and I never, I never saw it and understood my my coach our pitching coach would get on to us all the time if we weren't preparing correctly or weren't focused at a practice and i never saw it firsthand or understood what he was meaning until i started to realize like especially last season and even freshman year the guys who prepared the least and was just like hey let's toss and let's get out of here um they had the least amount of success and the guys who stood around did target catch did target play um did different things on the mound to work on mechanics, those guys would go into the weekend series and do exactly what they were told to do, would hit spots and would have a ton of success. And so I actually got to see it firsthand that preparation is more than what you might expect it to to play a role in. Right, right. Yeah. I mean it's scouting reports go into that too and just the every right. it's everything. It's not just like what you put in physically, it's what you put in mentally, emotionally, what you eat as well. So it's like it's everything culminates into how great you can be in that given moment. So Coastal Stars in the house says make adjustments pitch to pitch. 
equals throwing strikes. And so, I mean, I would say the same thing as a hitter, right? You need to be making adjustments pitch to pitch. Okay, this guy, he's been working in or, right, he's uh, every time he gets two strikes, he's flipping in a curveball. Or I was just look silly on a curveball. He's probably coming back with another one, but I'm going to think the other way, sit back and drive it. So making adjustments in baseball pitch to pitch is going to equal success, right? But especially equal throwing right. strikes if you're a pitcher. Right. And, and I wouldn't even, I would, I would agree with that. And I will even go as far as to say of, as a pitcher, you have to have a lot of feel when it comes to the pitches you're throwing, the pitches you're making and, and whatever it may be. So if I throw four pitches and today I'm throwing a curveball and I, I spike my first one and then I, I come back with it and I keep doing the same thing and I'm trying to make these adjustments, but the, the small adjustments aren't working. Well, maybe as a pitcher, you need to realize, hey, I've got three other pitches to fall back on, so let's make a big adjustment for a pitch that isn't working. Let's take it out right now, focus on, on working through that inning with your other best pitches, and then go into the bullpen and saying, hey, let's, let's figure out these minor adjustments because sometimes minor adjustments might not even make, make your, uh, your pitches better in that sense because there's been, there's been times where I feel like I'm making these adjustments and I watch a video after the game like I, I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. I feel like I'm in the moment and I'm making the adjustments and I just, I can't find the success with it. And so right. sometimes you got to make an even bigger adjustment to, to get the results you want. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So got, uh, I think two more questions here in the chat. Oh yeah. Kenny McIntosh also just put the coastal stars. So if you're new here, I know we had a couple of players that aren't our players in the chat as well. So um, we both coach for the Coastal Stars, and a lot of our guys are in here. So if you're looking for a team to play for, um, we're full this fall, but we, we may need to pick up in one of our tournaments, say a couple guys get sick or get injured. Um, go online. You can fill out interest form. And Coach Justin, I'm sure, will be reaching out to you about what you know, arrangements that you need to make in order to be a part of the Coastal Stars. Now we got Diego Jackson coming in with how many days would you long toss and how many days would you recommend? So when it comes to long toss, some guys love it, some guys hate it. Um, I have learned that depending on how you do it makes a, makes a big impact. Um, and so I never really long toss as much as I should my freshman year. Um, and again, in season, it might, you might have to throw it in a little differently. But out of season, for example, right now in my gap year, I would say I long toss. Monday for sure is long toss. Um, I even throw in pull downs with that as well, coming back in, because that helps with velo and things I'm working for. Um, so Monday is long toss. Tuesday, again, is probably off or so. And then Wednesday is um, a lighter toss. So if my max distance, I'll just use yards because I am I go usually on a football field. If my max distance is, say, 100 yards on Monday because it's a max day, Wednesday I will go out and I'll throw maybe anywhere from 90 to 120 feet. So right around probably 50 to 60-ish yards or so. And then Thursday I'll ramp it back up to probably – 70 or 80 and ease into it and then uh, another max day like on a friday um and then saturday sunday will be hey let's take it down let's recover so i would say you don't want to max out on long toss like all the time but definitely 
one to two days a week. Um, if your arm can do it, then three. But again, it comes back to feeling out your body because I, at the end of the day, I can't feel what a pitcher is feeling or what a, a guy, how his arm feels. And so you have to base it off how your arm feels because I can't go out and say, hey, Diego, let's go throw max on Wednesday if your arm feels like you can only throw 20 yards. That might be a day you need to say, hey, let's listen to my arm. Let's take it chill. And, and when it feels better, we'll ramp back up. But I'd say probably max long toss once or twice a week. Once, obviously, for sure. Um, but twice if you can do it. And then in between, you're working on getting back to max and then you do it again. Real quick, talk about what long toss looks like. Are you trying to throw it on a line every time? Are you putting air under it? What does that look like for guys that may not know what long tossing should look like? Yeah, so long tossing for me, um, obviously I'll do my whole J-band routine. I'll warm up, get my body ready to move fast and produce a lot of force that comes with long tossing. Um, and so I'll start out long tossing. I'll start throwing it probably 10, 10 yards, obviously. I'm just light toss, get my arm into it. As I work back, I'm working back usually. I just work back as my arm feels. I don't move back like five yards or so. So I just gradually work my way back. And on my way out, I am working on just, I'm getting the ball there with minimal effort as possible. So even if I bounce it at 50 yards, I know I can throw it further than 50 yards, so I'm not worried about bouncing it as long as I didn't just try to throw a ball on the line as hard as possible. I'm just trying to get it there without using my arm and letting my body take over. Um, and so I'll get out to, again, about the 50-yard line, and I'll throw a couple there, and I'll continue to work out, and I'll get 60, 70. And I'd say probably right about, right about the 60 yards is where I begin to, like, crow hop a little not crow hop but shuffle into my throws a little bit and again i'm putting air under the ball on my way out i'm again trying to get it there without using my effort because it's a max effort day and so if i'm using my effort at 60 yards i'm not going to be able to use 100 percent of it when i get back and i'm trying to throw a football field um and so i'll work back to then 70 80 yards and i'll gradually gain speed gain ground and uh when i get back to about the 80 80 ish yards i'll start I'll start not running into them, but again, crow hopping. And so I'll start at like the 85 and I'll get a gather step crow hop and I'll throw from the 80 yards and then I'll get back to 85 and I'll, I'll continue to again, work back. And now when I get back to those bigger yardages, like 80 yards, I'm not going to sit at 80 yards and throw three, four, five throws because then my arm's just going to be taxed. Right. If my arm feels like I made it effortlessly at 80, I'm going to 85. Um, and again, I'll, I, I listen to my arm and I listen to my body. And so by the time I get back to my max effort, which is usually right around that 100-yard mark, I'm then I'm trying to let that thing go. And again, I'm putting air under it. And then after I do that, once I get back to my max distance, that is where I'll make in anywhere from like two to five throws, again, listening to my arm. Um, and then on the way back in, I go every 10 yards. So if my max distance was 100 yards that day, after I throw my, say, fifth throw there, I'm done with long toss. I'm now going into my pull-down phase. And again, this is only on a max day where I'll do pull-downs. So I'll go to the 90 yards, and I'm throwing one throw, and I'm ripping it on a line. Whether it, like, obviously I'm probably not going to get it there on a line, so there's a little bit of, like, leeway there. But I'm not. I'm no longer airing the ball out and just trying to get it there. I'm trying to rip down on the baseball as hard as I can. And I'll throw one at 90, 
one at 80, one at 60, one at 50, and continue. And then the mound for me, obviously, because I'm a pitcher, is right around 22 yards or something like that. And so I'll get to like that. I, I usually, if I'm long tossing, it's sometimes with my dad in the summer. And so I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit for him. And so I'll go to like the 25 yards, which is a little further than a mound, which is no no worry for me. And I'm, I'm practicing on my uh, mechanics. But on this max distance day, I'm not so much worried about my mechanics as I am trying to let my arm loose and build that strength and endurance that I need to throw harder. And so I'll practice my mechanics. I'll get into the stretch at 25 yards after I've completed my pull downs. And I'll throw anywhere from, again, three to five pitches there, and I'm, I'm letting it go. And then I'll go recover after that's said and done because, obviously, it's a taxing day. And so, again, deep tissue, roll out the muscles after completing that, or else you're going to wake up the next morning and you're going to feel like a bus hit you. <laughs> I like that. Hey, last question in this segment here comes from T-Mac, Kenya's mom. As a coach now, how do the players perceive you do the players take you serious? Yeah, so a lot of the guys actually was they take me more serious than what I thought because again, I'm I'm only 21, so I'm probably 3 4 years older than some of these guys. Um and so and I don't try to create I I try to create a serious atmosphere, but at the end of the day, I also try to build relationships with these guys and be more than just a coach to them. I tell them all the time, especially my team in the summer, because they had the most, uh, I mean, it was my first year, so they know me the most. I, I told them all the time, like, come talk to me, ask me questions, especially if you're a pitcher, like, I'm here to help. I don't want to be just like your coach. I want to be, I want to be a friend to you too. And I want to build a relationship with you while keeping it, while keeping it serious. I, I'm obviously, I'm not really texting these guys just daily, unless it's comes to like colleges and recruiting and they got questions for me. But I want them to feel open and, and honest with me and be able to talk to me and me for me to be able to help them outside of the field. Um, but yeah, a lot of these guys, I think I think they are where I was when I was a player. For example, uh, Coach Cam Jones, he, he helps out sometimes. And so when I was younger and he was going through the recruiting process, it was more so of like a role model of like, hey, I look up to this guy or like my brother when he went through it. I look up to this guy like I see these things. And now I'm kind of seeing hints of that of like, hey, he's our coach, but he also is a college athlete and has been through this. And so I think there's some sort of like relationship between me and my guys that like they look up to me in the fact that, hey, I want to get to where this guy got, if not better. And this dude's been through it. So let me learn from him. Uh, yeah, I definitely think there's a a shade of that for all of us, but especially for you because you're going through it now. And so they're kind of like, okay, you're going through it. You're a cool guy. You know what you're talking about. And you're not just out here. Because, I mean, there's some guys that are just like you as far as like being in college and coaching that you, you, you can tell they're just out there maybe just to get a check or just a summer job or whatever. Right. And the kids are just running rampant, right? But you're actually taking time to build the relationships, like you said, and really help them develop so that they can get to where you are in whatever capacity that looks like for them. So no, I th definitely think you're doing a great job. Diego says, uh, this must be something you say a lot. Got to have a sense of urgency. <laughs> yeah it was my my team lacked the, the urgency in trying to warm up sometimes and we were 
getting on the field late or whatever. And I said, Mm-mm. comes back to preparing. We gotta, we gotta learn to. Right. If you show up late, whatever it may be, you gotta learn to roll with the punches and get out there and get ready to go. I like it. All right, so now we are going to get to our last segment. So the tables are about to flip. Ked's got some questions for me. So we're going to get into our Ask Coach Profit section. We're also going to do this tomorrow with Elon and Trey Chamberlain. So you're going to want to tune in. That's going to be earlier. It's going to be around 5 o'clock, I believe, is the time for that. So I'm going to want to tune in to the Quality Entertainment channel at that time. And um, I'll take any questions that you guys have as well. All right, Ked, take it away. What do you got for me? Yeah, so we talked about my time at Emanuel and my gap year recruiting process. Well, I want to I want to ask you what your main factors or your your main roles in choosing North Georgia to play college baseball were. So, well, if I well, let me start off with this. If I had the knowledge that I do now, I would have done recruiting totally different. Like I didn't really understand sure. recruiting. So one, you didn't have like the resources online like you do now. Um, social media wasn't as big back then. People were kind of like, hey, if you want to get recruited, kind of maybe stay off social media or make sure it's very professional of that nature. And it still right. needs to be professional, right? But coaches are communicating with people through social media. Like you said, you're, you know, looking for new players for Coastal Stars through Twitter or X as it's called now. Um, just right. a couple of weeks ago. And so social media is playing a big factor now, but I didn't necessarily know or understand the recruiting process because Warner Robins has always been a big baseball town, but it wasn't very prominent until kind of my era. I was on the team with Justin that won the first state championship. And before that, we had a couple guys go on to play college ball, but it wasn't like at a big scale, at a grand, like going D1. And now we have every, we got like 10 guys every every um, year coming out of Houston County that are going to play D1 baseball. And so it's kind of built into the network. But back then it wasn't. So you kind of were lost on things to do. But when I was going through my recruiting process, the biggest thing for me was it had to feel like home, right? So yeah, you're sure. a college kid, right? And of course, everybody wants to go to like the big school or they want to go to a school that they think in their mind or perceive in their mind that, oh, this is the school for me. But until you step on that campus and you you have to feel that energy and it's got to feel like the energy that at home, that that's at home, as, assuming that you, you have a stable home and a good foundation, right? Um, right. But that that was the biggest thing for me. I went to a couple of schools, and as soon as I got in the car, I was like, "Yeah, I'm not coming here." And mom was like, "Oh, really? Like you made your decision?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I, I'm not feeling the vibes." You know what I mean? Uh, I, when <laughs> right. I went to when I went to North Georgia, I was like, I mean, it was just even the campus before I even met the coach. It was like the campus. It was a, the small town campus. It kind of reminded me of you know Warner Robins. All right. Um, and everybody kind of knew each other. Everybody had that Southern hospitality and everything. And then when I talked to the coaching staff, I was like, okay, these are, these are guys that I can, you know, that I can rock with. Right. And so that was, that was the biggest thing for me. It wasn't necessarily about the, the size, um, the size of the school. Obviously you want to go play at the best school possible, but you're going to learn 
this, especially when it comes to being in a professional setting, is it's not about the the quality or the popularity of the company that you work for or the school that you attend to play for. It's about the fit, right? Do you fit right. culturally there? And that's going to determine your success, right? Because in a corporate setting, if you don't fit and you don't jive with the company's values and their way of doing things, well, you're going to be like, oh, this company sucks and you're going to try to go somewhere else. And then you're going to bash the company. But they interviewed you and they thought, oh, you qualify for the job, but you didn't necessarily interview them back. And so, right. yeah, the coaches are recruiting you, but you're also interviewing them, right? So they need to be interviewed like it's because it's their job too, because you need to see like, do I fit here? Can I see myself attending the school? How are the people that attend the school? Are they my type of people that I would normally associate myself with outside? And that's not to say that, hey, if you don't associate with those type of people, that they're bad people. It's just like you have your right. set of friends for a reason, right? So you want to go right. where you're you're celebrated and not tolerated. That's a that's a phrase that I've heard. So um, you don't want to be in a situation where you're like, ah, man, I, I I probably should have went there, even though it was a little bit smaller. It's about fit, especially. Right. And and don't we see like society getting away from that like home feeling and we see the transfer portal lit up with four, right. 5,000 players. And, and I think, uh, I think I don't know if social media plays a role or if people are looking for the, the wrong things at the, at the wrong time. They don't, they don't go for the fit. They don't go for that culture. They just go for the scholarship or the money and, and they stick it out. And now it's, hey, let's leave. There's no home. Right. I mean, yeah, it goes back to what we value as a culture. So the, the kids that are doing that are valuing popularity or valuing the fact that they're at a bigger school, at a more popular school, or at a school that's going to give them more amenities, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to be treated better as far as like maybe I'll get better food or better, just a better lifestyle, right? And right. so instead of being loyal to the decision that they made initially. Now, I think there's absolutely a time and a place to do it. But I was thinking like there was a, there was a time in college where I was like, I'm, I'm not sure about this baseball thing or maybe right. I should try to transfer. But it's like, no, like this place has been this place has been good to me. My best friends are here. Like I've gone to yep. two or three weddings from guys I played with in college. And every time I go back, it's like a huge family reunion. And yep. I just went to one two weeks ago. And it was just so much fun seeing those guys that I woke up with at 5 a.m. and went to sleep um, with at midnight every single yep. day for four years, right? And you don't necessarily build those lifelong, like this stable relationships when you're only on campus for you know one year to be the guy and then you're like halfway through the year you're like oh i'm having a good season i'm about to bounce and go somewhere else right right so right that that's a that's another big factor and i think it takes away from the the college experience a little bit when people are bouncing around as well not to say that there's sure. not situations where people need to you know get out of that situation because they weren't a cultural fit either for well just they weren't a cultural fit for that for that place I think okay, yeah, transfer like absolutely, but this um, treating the divisions as like a 
a farm system kind of right is, i think that's it's, i think it's getting a little ridiculous right and and maybe a controversial question but this is a question i just came up with out of out of the blue how do you feel about like you, you mentioned farm system nil money is this playing a role is it hurting college so i think nil money's good so from all right so who so when i was in school i was the head of student athlete advisory committee right and that's basically like student government specifically for student athletes so our sole mission was to enhance the student athlete experience in whatever way i could and so i did things like just well we obviously fundraised but did things like throwing events for the student athletes that were just for student athletes to basically just bring all the athletes together because we're all going through the same thing but a lot of people um wouldn't cross paths just because okay this team's in season and this team's not in season and they don't go to the weight room at the same time so people that are going through a similar thing as you wouldn't necessarily cross paths and that's like a relationship that you may not have unless we put on like certain events where everybody could come together and kind of get to know each other so i did different things like that but i say all that to say that there was a lot of kids and especially guys that came over from overseas or out of the country to play whatever sport that they could and then they had to work a lot of times because they just didn't have the money right, right. we i think a lot of times we take for granted that we're living in the wealthiest country in the whole entire world and so right middle class or even lower middle class here is a lot different than middle class or lower middle class out of the country and so those kids want the opportunity to come to america to get a better education um to play at a the highest level that they can and sometimes they just don't have the the funds unless they work and so under the old rules i think it had just gotten to where they could work right but then you have a you had that case where i think it was the kicker who was making the youtube videos and he monetized them and they were like hey like you either can't monetize your youtube channel or you can't play and it's like right. something about that doesn't seem right because it's like now you're saying that i can't you you own my name and likeness because that's literally what you sign your name and likeness away so i think that right. it's good that these kids can profit from the entrepreneurial mindset and things that they like the savviness that they have from that regard but i also think that it gets dangerous when they're getting bribed with all this money and the lavish lifestyle right right and now, there's pros and cons yeah and so that's when it gets really dangerous because then it becomes less about them developing their skills in that sport obviously if you if you end up sucking then that stuff will start to go away. So you, you're naturally going to, uh, I need to make sure I stay on top of my game. But those things are stumbling blocks for a lot of people where it can be the demise of them, right? Imagine if like Johnny Menzel had NIL money, right? Right. After that, you know, one year, yeah, it would it would have probably been dangerous. And so it's, it's almost like a gift and a curse where it's almost like maybe there needs to be 
more I, I honestly don't know the answer but i think it's good rules that rules or laws behind it right i think it's there's good too that many, i think there's too many loopholes yeah that, that's the thing there's there's way too many loopholes but i do think overall i think it's good that these kids especially kids from you know just unfortunate circumstances get the opportunity to you know make money maybe send it home so that their parents can be you know lifted out of poverty or out of you know dire circumstances so i think it's both right. good and bad at the same time yeah I, I think it's a it's a great idea if not in the power of the wrong people and again like you said there's people deserving of it people who work hard to get that money and then there's also people who get that money and abuse the power and privilege that they have right yeah so yeah, I would I would have to definitely look into more into like the what is acceptable, what isn't, but I know I mean there's always been that side of recruiting. You hear all the stories about, oh, the boosters bribed this kid or they bought that kid right. a like Lamborghini or whatever before he even stepped on campus, but they took it out in his mom's name or what have you. So people are gonna there's always gonna be that side of it, but at the end of the day, you, univer the university system is set up for you to develop as a person so that you can subsequently go out and be a productive member of society, whether that is, okay, I came here and I played a sport. Now I'm so good at my sport. I'm so productive at it that I can go play at the next level. But since I was able to be productive at my sport and get a degree at the same time, after my sport is after I finish playing my sport, I can then go and be a productive member of society in whatever capacity I can fall back on that degree. And so I think that's that'll get lost because these kids get so much money to where even if it doesn't work out for them, right? Now it's like, oh, I have all this money and I have all this clout or social media presence, but it's it's is it almost like it It perverts their purpose, right? Because their main purpose and the reason that they got the money was because they were dedicated and they were excellent at this sport. And then when you throw all this money and you throw all this fame at them, now it's like, okay, now this purpose can actually overtake, you know, this drive that even got me to right. attain, you know, what I'm getting in this NIL money. So it's, it's both a gift and a curse at the same time. Right, right. And, and again, we talked about my college experience and not so much uh, school. I hinted at it, but I want to know road trips, they're taxing when it comes to college baseball. How <laughs> did you balance classes and the road trips for guys wanting to go to college? So it's just like anything else. You got to make sure that you're on top of your your coursework, right? So at North Georgia, at least, and I mean, every college, you're going to get a rubric or a syllabus, a syllabus, not a rubric. So once you get that syllabus, generally it has every single thing and due dates or tentative due dates. So you know about when everything is done. And when you get that, you need to go look at your baseball schedule and you need to say, okay, um, we're going to be on the road when this is due. So I either need to have it completely finished or I need to, you know, be somewhere where I can finish it very easily when I'm on this road trip. So fortunately at North Georgia, we had Wi-Fi on our buses, but it wasn't good. And I know at any other D2 school, 
like probably 98% of the other D2 schools, they probably don't have Wi-Fi on their buses. And so right. you're probably either using like trying to use your hotspot or you're trying to use this trash hotel Wi-Fi. And so you got to make sure that you're staying on top of like, okay, I know I got this road trip, but I also got this project. Okay, I'm just going to have to get it out like maybe one day a week before before I go on this road trip so that one, I can, by the time this road trip comes up, I can get the proper sleep because sleep is very important as far as like your performance, but I can also, you know, rest easy, right? Because that's stress on your, on your, on your mental before you go and play the game. If you're up all night trying to write a three page paragraph and format in the MLA format and everything, it's like, it's, it's just, right. it's just like, what are you doing to yourself? It's like, when you're on a road trip, you want to be in the position to be just clear-headed and only focused on what you need to do on the field. And so that right. that's my biggest thing. Now, now when it gets closer to finals or like midterm, sometimes you'll have stuff that piles up. And that's why we always, especially, especially during season, you always want to be in classes with other athletes, preferably with other baseball players, because then y'all can, you know, kind of come together and, you know, kind of work through, okay, we need to get this done, or they can help you out with this area, maybe divide up like problems and um, to make sure that all the work gets done. Um, but also you want people from other sports that aren't in season as well, who are just, you know, they're in their off season, they got time. Okay. I can call you be like, okay. Right. Um, help me out with this. Like, I'm I'm about to go play this game. I need to I need to be focused on this game. What can you do for me? So, um, and that goes back to you know just establishing relationships. Like when you get on, when you hit the campus, you want to and and everybody doesn't have to be your best friend, but you need to go and you need to meet people. And if you see that there's an athlete in your class, you need to go up to him and be like, Hey, uh, I saw you have a soccer shirt on. I play baseball. Like, what's your name, right? And it's as simple right. as that. So if you, at least that you know each other. So if there's ever something that you need, you have a common thing and they're going through the same thing. So they, they'll understand when you ask them, like, All right, hey, I got a game. Like, uh, can you help me out with this this worksheet right. or whatever? You know what I mean? So that, that, was, that was the biggest way to, you know, balance everything is one, relying on your teammates, but also relying on your team in the athletic you know, department as well to, to help you because that's the only way you're going to make it sometimes because it can, it can get taxing for sure. Right, for sure. It, it definitely can. And I, I've had experience in this. So when it comes to road trips and classes and, and for those who didn't procrastinate, there was definitely downtime. So what is your favorite road trip memory that doesn't have to do with baseball, whether it be like in a hotel, <laughs> whatever, I know you got one. Oh man. There's so many road trip memories, man. So <laughs> we used to play, we used to just play a bunch of games. Um, so you, you, you have the people that sit at the front and then you have the people that sit at the back. So the people that sit at the front, they're normally just cashed out, just chilling, probably sleep across the aisle. People that sit in the back, those are the guys that are rowdy. So I normally had a seat in the front. Well, until my senior year, I always had a seat in the front. And I would just like, if I felt like just chilling, I would just be in my seat. 
But if I felt like, you know, all right, I want to go just have a little fun with the guys in the back, I would just go back and, you know, chill. And they'd always play like, um, what's that game? I forgot what it's called. Um, it's like that murder game where somebody's like the cop and somebody's a sheriff and all that. I, I forgot what it was called, but we would play that. We'd play just different things in the back of the bus. And it was just, it was just fun. But one of my favorite memories is I used to have like this, well, I still have a Bluetooth speaker, but it was like the older model of this particular Bluetooth speaker. And I would bring it on the bus and we were going to the, we were going to the world series because uh, we had played well enough to go to the D2 world series and we were just playing. I, I forgot what our song was that year, but we were just playing that song on the bus, head to the world series. And I was like, man, this is like a movie scene right here. Like it was so cool because it was just like, yep. you know, you watch all those baseball movies and you see one of those scenes and you're just like, man, that's epic. I wish I could experience that in my, in my right. real life. And that was one of the moments for me where I was like, oh, like, this is cool. We loaded the <laughs> bus. I'm sitting at the back of the bus. We have this music playing. Everybody's getting hyped for this game. And like, that was, that was just one of the coolest moments. Um, at least, right. at least on a road trip that I had. Now, now, when it comes to road trip, do you guys at UNG have any freshman rituals on your first road trip that you have to do? <laughs> no, we don't. We were, we, they were pretty chill with, like, you know, I wouldn't even call it hazing, but with the, the whole freshman do this, freshman do that. Now, there was obviously a little bit of it. Like, if there was something where it was like, okay, only a specific amount of people need to do this. Like coach says, hey, five people go do this. All right, freshmen. Okay. You, right. you just kind of understand that, right? But there wasn't any like ritual where they, we made them do X, Y, and Z. It was kind of, right. it was pretty chill. It was pretty chill. Well, on, on our first road trip, freshmen had to sing. Well, freshmen or like transfers, any new guys had to do karaoke. <laughs> you had to pick awesome. your song and get up in front of the in front of the guys and sing and yeah that that was uh the one thing that we had all fre all freshmen do all right um, see you Cade. have a good one buddy but yeah and then uh and same question as can you ask me earlier uh in your transition from a player to a coach did your perspective on how you see the game change it <sighs> That's a tough one, Ryan, because um, I always coached. So it's, it's, I, was, I was different because I had a younger brother who was four and a half years younger than me, and I taught him how to play baseball because I didn't have a dad or a parent who played. And so I just was signed up for T-ball one day. And I was good. I made the all-star team and I just kind of played year after year, just fell in love with baseball and I was good at it. And then when I got to high school, my mom was like, you need to pick baseball or football. And truthfully, I was probably a little better at football, but I loved baseball just a little bit more. And so that's right. why I chose baseball. And, but Throughout those years, I always coached my younger brother because I, I literally taught him how to play. But along with that, I would help coach his travel teams when I wasn't playing. And like in his dugout, helping his team, I would give hitting lessons to like his, like some of the guys on his team when I was like in middle school and high school. And so I always had this like innate 
ability to kind of coach, right? right. And so I was never the head coach though. So there, there, there's a slight right. difference. So when I, so when I actually got my own team, it changed in the fact that I would say you see the game more holistically, right? Because when you're a player, you're just focused on your individual performance, right? And sometimes you see things very narrowly. That's why you you have to shake shake off, you know, when you when you don't perform as well as you want to or as well as you can because if you don't, then you can carry that in the field and that hurts the performance of the overall team, right? But when you're the coach, you're responsible for the overall team. And so you have to pull back and you have to pull the best out of all these different personalities, everybody with different abilities, and you have to bring them together as one. Even if the player's having a bad day, even if a player's not in the best mental space, you have to manage all of that. And when you're a player, you're really only responsible for yourself. And even if you're a leader on the team, so like in North Georgia, I was essentially one of the captains. We didn't have like formal captains, but I was essentially one of the captains right. on the team my last two years. And I would have to manage more, but it's still different because when you're the coach, you're like, okay, how do I get this whole machine to operate? Right. And when you're a player, even if you're a leader, it's more about, okay, how do I get this team hype? Right. How do I get right. you know, everybody's spirits up? But it's it's just different right. as a coach. As a coach, you're like, okay, I got to make sure my guys are ready to play, but also got to make sure all the pieces are in proper position. The lineup is in the proper order so that we can execute effectively, that I have the right pitching um, strategy right? I have this guy going, but I have this guy coming in and I have him coming in for this reason. Also, I'm going to hold this guy. He might be a lefty matchup. So you're just thinking about the game in a much different way. And it's it's actually beautiful because you, you develop an understanding of the game and a deeper appreciation for the game. Because I remember I would uh, watch my coach Cantrell at North Georgia. He's just, he's just a wizard when it comes to like situations. Um, like I watched him, I forgot the exact scenario, but it was like something that you don't run into all the time. And he was like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what we're doing. And I was like, whoa, that was, that was just like some magician. Like that blew my mind. Like I would have never have thought to do that. Right. But that also helped me because, because of seeing things like that, it helped me to, okay, what do I need to do? How do I think in that way as a coach? So that I can, right. you know, help my team and my players perform at the optimal level. So that yeah, was just that. That's probably the uh, the the biggest difference in the transition. And, and I will add on to that. And I didn't hint, I didn't talk about this in my first year coaching, but I think I I gained a more appreciation for those who had to write lineup cards when it came to writing my first one and understanding like right. how these players work, where they should go in a lineup. Like it, it became of like a, a reverse in the roles of like someone always watching me and evaluating me to me having to do that to other people, which I had to get used to doing. Right. And it's always difficult too. Cause like some players don't understand the different roles of different parts in the lineup they just kind of see oh i'm in this spot in the lineup 
oh, coach must think of me in this way, right? But if I got a guy who's a pretty decent hitter, right, but he's he just not good enough or he's just not as good as my one, two, or three, like top of the order, but he's his style of play is like top of the order, well, then I'm gonna right. probably going to put him at the very bottom so that we have a guy who's down there who's anchored so that when that top of the lineup comes up, that's just one more guy that we can kind of ha- reliably have on base. But as a player, right. you see your name at the very bottom, you're like, dang, I'm going to suck. And it's like, oh, no, we have you in these positions for a reason, right? Right. And so it's not always like number one or number two, number three is always the best, and then everybody else is the worst. It's like, no, like I can see this guy. This, I'm going to bat this guy six, right? Even though he, he could he could definitely bat four for me, but – you know, my three and four hole hitters get on base. So um, they get on base so effectively that, and this guy that I'm about to put in the six hole, he's an RBI machine. So why wouldn't I just put right. him here? Right. And right. so they, they only see like, oh, I'm six. And I'm not one, two or three. Uh, I need to, what am I doing wrong? How I move up? But right. we're thinking like, okay, how, how do all these pieces fit together to make like right. the best picture for my team? Right. And and we'll we'll wrap it up with these last two questions. One non baseball related. Okay. Any hidden talents that you have? You have a special talent <laughs> that like nobody knows about. That oh nobody knows about. Like uh, not like not nobody knows about, <laughs> but just some like normal average people like wouldn't know unless they like they really know you. Huh. I, I'm sure Kenya will put something in the chat. But uh, <laughs> well, I make music so. A lot of people don't okay. know that about me, and when you talked I've, about in the lot then the last podcast, right? When when yeah. you asked about making beats and stuff, right? Yeah, so I mean, I make music. A lot of people, I because I used to do it a lot, and actually mm-hmm. in college, one of one of the songs I made, we used to play during BP, like it made the BP playlist. So that was really cool. But cool. yeah, I've just uh, since I got into more of the video stuff, like like you see the culmination of that now on this live stream i haven't had as much time to you know work on music but i still you know make it i still write i just don't have time to like put everything else together but i am i do have like a project that i'm actively working towards i guess not necessarily working on but i'm working towards and putting everything together but yeah i like doing that um pickleball i've gotten really big into pickleball over the last two months, I played in a tournament with my girlfriend, Kenya. What was that? Probably like three three or four weeks ago now. Um, we did we did decent. We won our first three games, and then we lost our last two and um, lost out. But um, that was a lot of fun. And I've just been trying to develop my skills in that. That's been a pretty big passion <laughs> of mine. Right. Kenya says she's waiting on the album to drop. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you ask... Your last question, um, Kenya did send in a super chat, so I want to acknowledge it, and we can answer this. She says, are y'all going to encourage your future sons to be baseball players? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I think it's just natural. <laughs> I think they're going to grow up around baseball, and they're just going <laughs> to, right. again, it, it grew, I grew up in it, and so I didn't really have to be forced to love baseball. My brother played it. Um, I don't know about my dad, but I know my brother did. Looked up to him as a role model, and I'm sure he'll see me someday throwing with them or something, and it'll just it'll come natural. And I don't want to 
I don't want to force it on anything, but I also don't think I'll have to. Right. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I see it. Cause I mean, I still play softball. I guess you could add that right. to the things people don't necessarily right. know. Yeah. So I play, I play softball. Our, our league is actually about to start. Or the fall league is about to start next week. And I'm, I plan on playing, you know, just, just to stay active. And so right. if I have, if I have a son or when I have a son, if, you know, he's going to be taken out to like the softball fields and he's probably going to want to know, Oh, how does daddy swing the bat? So I'll get him a little bat yeah. and he's probably just going to naturally grow up in that environment. But if he chooses that, he doesn't want to play it someday, then I'll be like, okay, go do your thing. He, he might have right. a different thing than his parents. Like I had for my, my parents both ran track and baseball just kind of found me and, right, you know, and then I kind of gave it to my brother. So um, yeah, I'll encourage him for sure, but that doesn't necessarily, I'll support him in whatever, you know, passion that he explores. For sure. All right. And, and we'll, we'll round it out with this last question. We'll put the, uh, the focus back on the Coastal Stars organization, which we coach for. And I, I want to ask, and how is the Coastal Stars different or what makes them stand out from other organizations? I think the level of care and the level of detail that we put into everything that we do. And so everything that you see on the field is very calculated. Like, as far as like how we warm up, as far as the, the you saw the packages that we give to our guys. We give our guys like an 11 right. page package, how to talk to college coaches, how to do this, how to do that, how to set yourself up for success. And that's, that's not done at a lot of different places. Like they might do it on an individual level. They might go up to their stud because th they want him to be their Trojan horse. And um, they want, oh, this guy, oh, he's great. He's probably going to like, a D1 school or whatever, and we're going to tell him exactly how to do it, but we're going to kind of leave these other guys hanging, right? We don't do that. Right. For us, it's like every single player, right, if you want to play, because, I mean, we do have a couple guys who um, they're, they're good players, right, because we've gotten to the level where we're not, we're not just taking anybody now. Like, you have to be at a certain level to play for the Coastal Stars, but we do have players that, you know, don't necessarily have aspirations to play in college, but you know, the culture of the Coastal Stars is so family oriented, and their best friends are playing that they just keep coming back, right? And so, right. I think the culture that we have is one of the biggest differentiators, but also the attention to detail that we have, and that goes from, like I said, how we warm up, what we, the resources we give our players. The media that we do, um, right. I guess I can speak to that from a personal perspective. Nobody's doing the media that we do, right? I mean, I guess this right. is a form of the media for the Coastal Stars, but also we do live streams of our our uh, home run derby, of our All Star games. Like we we make these guys feel like like big leaguers, right? And we treat them like big leaguers, but we also expect that in return, and so. We're not only giving them a great experience, but we're also holding them to a high standard so that when they leave us, they know how to conduct themselves accordingly out in the world. And hopefully they can, you know, really be productive at the next level or on into their professional careers. So I think that's right. what and, that's what separates us. And I think a lot of organizations put their pride in the money. 
And that's one thing that I, I haven't seen any of our coaches or this organization at all do. And, and we put our pride in, and like you said, helping these guys get to the next level and, and doing everything, like you said, to a high standard and not just settling for something less just because of the paycheck or this sense of like right. privilege or gratitude. It was like, like our pride and our gratitude comes from these guys getting college offers and playing at the next level. Cause one, I mean, as a coach, it looks good to us, but not only that, but we get to watch these guys grow as athletes and as humans for the next four years too. Right. Yeah. Like, and for me, I don't necessarily care where you go to play in college. Of course, I want to help you get to college by the more important thing that I care about is what type of young man that I right. lead you to be. Because if I can lead you in the right direction, you're going to figure it out, right? Whether you whether you go and play baseball in college or whether you just go um, to college to be a student, whether you enter the military, whatever you decide to do, if I have led you in the right direction, I know that you're going to land on your feet. And I know that you're going to be you know, very productive in the world. So that's my ultimate goal. And we do that through the means of baseball and through the means of a game that we all love. But the mission is to get better and to get seen, right? But the first part of that is to get better. And it's not just getting better as a baseball player, but it's really getting better as a person, right? So that you can be seen out into the world. You can land you know how to land a job, you know how to land, right, get get into that college, whether it's for baseball or whether it's just, okay, my academics carried me here or what 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 have you. So that's that's the biggest thing. And the last thing I'll say that differentiates us is the the quality of our coaches, right? And that's not to say that other organizations don't have good coaches, right? But sometimes you could tell that they just hired this guy just to throw him with the team. And this guy's only out here because he, he played baseball or maybe he's playing baseball in college or something like that, but he's just there for a check and he's not really right. working on the development. Every single one of our coaches has a minimum threshold of like, you just like, and I know Trent tells me all the time that he'll put a posting on and he just has to deny like everybody sometimes because it's just like they just don't meet the qualifications, right? Or you'll you'll talk to them and it's just like, uh, I'm not sure you're the right fit, right? It goes back to the fit thing. And so there's a very strenuous process to even become a coach, right? And so because we have such a high standard and we're trying to set such a positive example for these players that that has to be the case in order for us to fulfill the mission of get better and get seen. So. Right. And I think what you said hit, hit the nail on the head. And I think it, it also speaks volumes as to what Coach Trent, Coach Justin have done to build this organization up. And like you said, they found coaches with the same, same uh, beliefs, values, goals to help these guys. And and they've built this organization up to to be centered around these guys and helping them not only become great athletes but great human beings and i think that's something that that makes us better and different and stand out than a lot of other organizations absolutely man well this has been a lot of fun guys thank you for sticking it out with us we uh talked about mastering your gap year we talked about you know just mastering your life in general talked about coaching we uh 
got in a lot of players before they probably had to hit the bed. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Um, let me throw up the schedule one more time. We will be back tomorrow. Remember Elon from last week, one of my players will be on along with another one of his teammates, Trey Chamberlain, one of my favorite players as well. Um, they're going to be talking about role models, talking about hitting approach. It's going to be a great show. That's going to be at 5 p.m. somewhere around there tomorrow. So make sure you set your calendars. I'll try to get that scheduled before I go to bed tonight. And then Wednesday, we might have a quality pod, just me and Kenya. We haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, try to get up some topics for you. And then there'll be no show on Thursday. 646 subscribers. So thank you, guys. I think we've jumped up like 20 in the last like four or five days. So shout out to everybody who subscribed. Again, our goal right now is to get to a thousand because when we get to a thousand, we get to unlock a lot of features uh, that are that are just going to be used to help provide more value to you guys. So uh, make sure you're sharing this with your family and friends. Again, thank you for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Ked, for being a part of the show. Thought it was an excellent conversation. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Last comment for the night, Grady Perkins. This is some quality content. I love it. I couldn't agree more. Um, thank you, guys. Ked, you got any final words before we get out of here? No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, hope everybody uh, enjoyed what we talked about in the content and uh, take it into your daily life. And uh, that's all I got. All right. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.